It's a hard act to follow first service. It's a hard act to follow now. Thank you so much. Thank you to everybody that participated in the service this morning. Thank you, Cassandra, for the prayer. I so appreciate it. Uh, welcome, everybody. Happy Sabbath. <clears throat> Glad that you're here, that you're here in person. And to those of you that are watching online, hi, Mom and Dad. Hi, honey. They're uh, watching from my parents' apartment. And uh, I want to, we're so glad you're here joining us, even though you're a distance away, um, you complete us. So uh, we're so glad you're here in person and viewing. Thank you. I want to give you the definition of holy because Pastor Matt decided that I was the one, I, you know, I just don't know about this love, patience. He gets those. He gives me holy. That seems a little out of balance, but thank you. So let's, let's look at what holy means. And the kids' definitions were awesome, by the way. Very well done, guys. But this is what the dictionary says. It says, exalted or worthy of complete devotion as one perfect in goodness and righteousness. Okay, I can handle that. But then it goes on. Divine, venerated, sacred. And those words are a little more difficult for me, a little more complicated. So let's pray before we go any further. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this opportunity to come together and to worship you. Thank you as, as we learn more about you and who you are in all of your layers. And Father, please be with the words that are spoken. May they be only about you. May they bring us closer to you. And thank you so much for the gift of Jesus. In your name we pray, amen. So I want to start with Exodus 3, 1 to 6. Now this is not a surprise to any of you. you. This makes perfect sense when it comes to talking about the holiness of God. So let's start with that. One day, Moses was tending the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led the flock far into the wilderness and came to Sinai, the mountain of God. There, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the middle of a bush. Moses stared in amazement. Though the bush was engulfed in flames, it didn't burn up. This is amazing, Moses said to himself. Why isn't that bush burning up? I must go see it. And when the Lord saw Moses coming to take a closer look, God called to him from the middle of the bush, Moses, Moses. Here I am, Moses replied. Do not come any closer, the Lord warned. Take off your sandals, for you're standing on holy ground. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. When Moses heard this, he covered his face because he was afraid to look at God. When Gary and I were at Laurel Brook, we were at a church service. Now, Laurel Brook is like a lot of other small churches. You know, we, we got a pastor from the conference who would come once, maybe twice a month to preach. And the rest of the staff filled in on the Sabbaths that there wasn't a preacher from the conference. And Mr. Bob, Bob Zollinger, who was the president and the principal at Laurel Brook, was preaching. This Sabbath, he used this verse. And when he was done reading it, he leaned down and slowly slipped his shoes off and put them on the front of the pulpit. And he preached the rest of the sermon in sock feet. 
He was making the point to the young people there that God is to be revered, that reverence is required when you ask God or you come into his midst. Now, I'm not going to take my shoes off, and that's mainly because it, it, it's hard to politely put them back on to walk off, but I want to make the point that we've invited God to be here with us, and we are now truly on holy ground. So let's read another verse, Isaiah 6, 1 to 3. It was in the year of King it was in the year King Uzziah died that I saw the Lord. He was sitting on a lofty throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. That is a massive kingly robe. The train filled the temple. Attending him were mighty seraphim, each having six wings. With two wings they covered their faces. With two, they covered their feet, and with two, they flew. They were calling out to each other, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heaven's armies. The whole earth is filled with his glory. God is formidable. I mean, the verses that we've just read now show that he is so separate and, and so, as the definition says, exalted and worthy of complete devotion. But there's, let's read a couple more. Uh, Psalm 99.9, exalt the Lord our God and worship at his holy mountain in, in Jerusalem, for the Lord our God is holy. Exodus 15.11, who is like you among the gods, O Lord, glorious in holiness, awesome in splendor, performing great wonders? And this is my favorite, Psalm 33.6, the Lord merely spoke and the heavens were created. He breathed the word and all the stars were born. This is a mighty being. This is a mighty, amazing being. Now, I need to tell you that there's a couple of degrees of separation for me that come in here. I can read these verses about God, but he's still over there. Because that's because I'm a product of the 60s and the 70s. Anybody else? Anybody else? Do you remember what we called ourselves? We were the Jesus freaks. That's what we were. We broke all the molds. In fact, we got in trouble because our Bible, number one, was printed in paperback, and number two, it was called, anybody remember? The Way. Our Bible was called The Way. And there were, you know, people, why, it doesn't say Holy Bible on it. No, it said the way because we were all about Jesus. We were all about following the example that he gave us here on this earth. And, and lots of things that are done now that are considered to be new and innovative, I'm sorry to tell you, we already been there, done that back in the 60s and the 70s. Coffee houses, those were things that we went to. We came together and gathered together and listened to Christian artists sing, like Keith Green, Amy Grant, Evie, second chapter of Acts, Chuck Gerard. Any of this resonating with anyone? We were the Jesus people. One way. That was our moniker. One way. And it was through Jesus. So the degrees of separation, <clears throat> for me, seemed kind of natural. Here I had Jesus and he was um, ah, obtainable, acceptable, touchable, feelable because of all the things that I read in the Bible. God, 
God was in his kingly robes on a balcony waving to his subjects. That's what it felt like to me. I thought maybe I'm the only one, but I found this quote from R.C. Sproul, and I want to share it with you. It's from the book, The Holiness of God. This is an excellent book. It is very, very well written. He is a theologian, but it is written in such people terms. This is what he said. I had abundant zeal, but it was marked by a shallowness, a kind of simplicity that was making me a one-dimensional person. I was a Unitarian of sorts, a Unitarian of the second person of the Trinity. I knew who Jesus was, but God the Father was shrouded in mystery. He was hidden, an enigma to my mind, and a stranger to my soul. A dark veil covered his face. Those degrees of separation, he felt them too. I was thrilled when I read that. I thought, I'm not the only one. I'm not the only one that sees this great majestic God, but can't connect. You know, I connect to Jesus, but that connection to God was wanting. Now, I want to say something to those of you that are father figures in the room. I want you to know that who you are, what you do, what you say, how you show love, how you discipline, all of these things affect the perception of the people who you have power over. It, it, it affects their perception of God. Let me say it again. Those of you that are father figures, what you say, what you do, how you love, how you discipline, how you act, People are looking at you, and it affects how they see God. Your children, your grandchildren, your students, your Sabbath school kids, when they look at you as a father figure, they're formulating their opinion of God, of who God is. And I want to make that a little personal and share with you. Somebody pointed out that this was a great thing for Memorial Day, but I do want to say my dad is still alive, so Memorial Day doesn't apply to him thankfully. This is my dad. My dad was 19 years old. What do you think, Omar? Yeah? He knows my dad very well. <laughs> dad was 19, and if you look really close, you can see there are two bullet holes in that plane. This was his plane. He flew 65 missions in World War II. He has medals for his service, for the things that he did. My dad was in the military for 37 years, retired as a full bird colonel. That is a high, high distinction. My dad is a hero. Three wars, World War II, Korea, Vietnam. Fortunately, he came home from all three. Vietnam, he left when I was 11 years old. Came home right before my 12th birthday. So I was glad to see him home. So this man is a man of power. My dad was so important. And he'll never tell you this. He'll never let you know. But he was so important that the military would fly him from wherever he was to Washington, D.C., so that he could brief kings and presidents and dignitaries on the state of the Air Force at that time. Uh, we have a picture on the wall at home of him shaking Lyndon Johnson's hand. Uh, I know for a fact that he briefed Kennedy and had a personal conversation with him about what was going on. We got Christmas cards from the White House. Who does that? He was a powerful, powerful man. 
And I got to see this in action for myself. Now, we lived in a military base in Stuttgart, Germany. And the thing that you need to know about military bases, especially the ones that are away from the United States or away from home, and especially back in the 60s and the 70s, is that the ratio of teenage boys who were in the military and the ratio of teenage girls who even lived there, yeah, no balance whatsoever. Way, 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 way more guys than there were teenage girls. So I was kind of an anomaly to be there. I was out of place, and uh, but, you know, I enjoyed looking around at all the guys. And there was one in particular that I would pass from time to time, and I thought he was super cute. And whenever I would see him, I would, you know, try to get his attention and smile at him. Well, one day, I wanted to go get my dad. His day from work was almost done, and I thought, I'm going to walk to his office, and then I'll walk home with Daddy. And as we're walking along back to our house, here comes this young guy in his uniform towards us, and I'm, you know, flipping my hair and uh, kind of, you know, slyly looking down and then back up again, being all demure, hoping to be anyway. And I caught his attention. So much so that he didn't see the big guy, the powerful guy, standing next to me. And he gets closer to me, and we kind of look at each other and smile, and he walks on past, and all of a sudden, I hear this voice that I had never heard before. Private! Do you make it a habit to pass an officer without saluting? Oh, no, sir. And it went on for about three minutes. This dress down one side and up the other. He had that young man for dinner. And... I, of course, was mortified. But this is the power that my dad had because of his position. Now, we need to understand that when my dad took a step across the threshold of our home, he was no longer Colonel Graves. He was now my daddy. And I, we had a ritual that we went through. My dad had two uniforms, probably more, but I know for sure two. And back in the 60s and 70s, cigarette smoking was allowable everywhere you go. So my dad would trade out his uniforms <clears throat> because they would smell like smoke. We don't smoke. We didn't smoke. And he didn't like that smell. And every night, I would sit on the bed, and I would watch him take every one of those medals, every wing every bar off his epaulette, I would watch him take those off and painstakingly put them on the uniform that he was gonna wear the next day. And that was just part of our routine. And I would look at him and I would say, Daddy, I love you a thousand. And he'd say, well, I love you 10,000. And I'd say, but I, I love you a hundred thousand. And he'd say, well, I love you a million. And as I grew older, that number would go up you know, <clears throat> as I came to understand the value of numbers. And one time I was talking to him and I said, Dad, I said, I love you. I love you. I love you a million. And he said, well, I love you a trillion. And I thought, I'm going to get him. I said, I love you a million, billion, trillion, gazillion. And he said, well, I love you infinity. 
I could never, ever, ever outlove my dad. And that I know. He made that very, very, very clear. So uh, knowing my daddy was important to me. When I was real little, I used to, when he'd come home after he changed his uniform out, he would sit and read the newspaper while mom made supper. And so I would go up and I would kind of tug on the bottom of the newspaper and he'd pull it down and look at it and put it back up and, and I'd tap at it like this and he'd pull it down and then put it back up. And eventually I would peek under it and I would kind of slide in until I was nestled in my daddy's lap. And I would sit there with him until he finished reading. It was our routine. This is something that scripture says, Romans 8, 15. It says, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. And now, now we call him Abba, Father. How can that be? How can that be? Matthew 27, 50 to 51 says this. Then Jesus shouted again and he released his spirit. At that moment, the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Couldn't have been by earthly hands. The earth shook, rocks split apart, and tombs opened. Gary and I would go to youth specialty meetings. I know I've mentioned it before in past sermons. Youth Specialties was an organization that would give us an opportunity to be ministered to because our lives were so full of ministry to teenagers and adolescents. <clears throat> One year when we went, they, they always tried to have amazing speakers for us. I've heard wonderful, wonderful people talk that are, you know, in, in the world, um, in the Christian world, very well known. But probably nobody is more well known than Louis Giglio. And Louis Giglio and Chris Tomlin, we got to see their indescribable tour before anybody else did. They came to use specialties, and we were able to see them. And I listened to the story and sang the songs, you know, um, uh, indescribable, uncontainable. You placed the stars in the sky, and we called them by name. You are amazing, God. We sang this with Chris Tomlin and with Louis Giglio, and we learned about the immenseness of God, how amazingly huge he is, and how much we need Jesus as our Savior, how little we are in the great scheme of things. And when he was done preaching, he started to pray, and I was in this position because I was overwhelmed with the power of God, overwhelmed with the gift of salvation. And I'm standing here like this, and he says, Heavenly Father, and I heard the words as clear as if somebody was standing next to me. They said, get lower. And so I pulled my arms in, and I'm trying to listen to the prayer, and it came again, get lower. Well, I sat down on the chair behind me. I didn't have anywhere else to go. And it came again, get lower. And at this point, I'm so clearly in the presence of holiness. And I, I, I got down on my knees. I had the chair behind me, the row in front of me. There were people on either side of me. And I'm, I'm praying, and, 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 and it came again, get lower. 
So I stood up, I slid past the people, and I got into the aisle. Now you need to keep in mind that these meetings are held in an arena. Like they play basketball or concerts. I mean, they're, they're huge concrete floors. And I, I didn't have anywhere to go. So I stood in the aisle and got down on my hands and knees. Am I low enough, Lord? Get lower. So I balled up like child's pose. And I got down holding my knees up to my chest and my arms held in and my head bowed. And it came again, get lower. I stretched out my arms, I put my legs behind me, and when my forehead hit that cold, dirty, concrete floor, I knew that I was in the presence of God, but it was different. It was different. I was in the lap of Abba. And no longer were his arms held by these kingly robes. They were wrapped around me. I mean, it was that real. And, and I didn't have to shake that curtain. I didn't have to look behind it because it was torn from top to bottom. There was nothing between him and me. And it wasn't because I did anything. It wasn't because I got lower. It wasn't because that I brought anything to the game whatsoever. It was because of the blood of Jesus Christ. And that alone. Hebrews 10, 19 to 23 says this. And so, dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. By his death, Jesus opened a new and life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. And since we have a great high priest who rules over God's house, let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him. For our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean, and our bodies have been washed with pure water. There's a hymn that I love, and it's an old one. And I know that when everybody walked out after first service, two people came up and said, I know that hymn. You know, everybody else walked past me, and I don't think they did. But I want to share it with you. There is singing up in heaven such as we have never known, where the angels sing the praises of the Lamb upon the throne. Their sweet harps are ever tuneful, and their voices always clear. Oh, that we might be more like them while we serve the Master here. Holy, holy is what the angels sing. And I expect to help them make the courts of heaven ring. But when I sing redemption story, they will fold their wings for angels never felt the joys that our salvation brings. But I hear another anthem blending voices clear and strong unto him who hath redeemed us and hath brought us is the song. We have come through tribulation to this land so fair and bright. In the fountain freely flowing, he hath made our garments white. Then the angels stand and listen, for they cannot join the song. Like the sound of many waters by that happy blood-washed throng, for they sing about great trials, battles fought, and victories won. And they praise their great Redeemer who hath said to them, well done. So although I'm not an angel yet, I know, yet I know that over there, 
I will join a blessed chorus that the angels cannot share. I will sing about my Savior, who upon dark Calvary freely pardoned my transgressions, died to set a sinner free. Holy, holy, it's what the angels sing. And I expect to help them make the courts of heaven ring, but when we sing redemption story, they will fold their wings, for they have never known the joys that our salvation brings. Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, Father God, Father Yahweh, thank you so much for being the majestic, amazing, inconceivable God that you are. Thank you that your glory is greater than we can imagine, that you are holy. But thank you for being Abba, our Father, who can hold us in his lap. Thank you for the gift of your Son that made that way, that made that connection for us. And Jesus, thank you so much for dying on the cross for us. Thank you for bringing us to a place where we can be face to face. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for leading us, for urging us, for calling us. And thank you all for being holy. In your name we pray. Amen.